there has been a book writ, written by Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. Um, he's a New York Times best-selling author. Uh, most of us know The Harbinger. Uh, the Harbinger 2, he's written a bit, book called Mystery of the Shemitah, The Oracle, another one called The Oracle, another book called The Book of Mysteries, and the latest one is called Return of the Gods. And it actually sold out in the bookstore two weeks ago. You can obviously get this book on Amazon, all these other books. I had the opportunity to go and spend two and a half days with him last March and watch how he conducted a tour to Israel. He's He's one of those guys who can snap his fingers and, uh, you know, have 600 people show up for a tour in, in two months. You know, five, six, seven, eight buses. We're used to one or two. Um, he's extremely anointed. He did a service there and uh, incredible mus musical talent he has and preach his gift of, he's a very anointed preacher. And just looking on the inside cover of this book, Return of the Gods by... Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, this book is intriguing, and it reads, is it possible, just on in the inside of the cover, that the entities we have known as gods, the gods of the ancient world have come back and are affecting our lives right now? And then Rabbi Kahn writes, could their existence explain everything that is now transforming our culture, our families, our children, our businesses, our government, and our technology? Deuteronomy 32, 17 says they sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly, that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. This word for devils is Shadim. And what it stands for is for the gods represented by the idols of a lot of those nations that the people of Israel started worshiping in place of Jehovah. The Hebrew word shadim, where the King James calls it devils, the root word of that word, it means to act violently, devastate. There are ancient Babylonian writings speaking specifically of these spirits. Let me give you another example of these gods that are identified as shadim, Psalm 106, 36, and 37, they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and daughters unto devils. That, that's that word, shadim, and which means, actually, it's some type of a cult god. When the ancient Jewish scholars translated the Hebrew Bible into something called the Septuagint, they were trying to find the word in Greek for shadim, and they used the word demonia, which means a spirit, a principality, an occultic entity, or a god, and it's where you get the word demon. Remember the Septuagint, we talked about this in the Daniel series, was translated into the Greek, the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born and being moved around the world. It was the Ptolemy dynasty down there in Egypt, which comes from where one of Alexander's generals is who made that translation. Remember Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, Paul talked about the sacrifices that were taking place on the altars of the Gentile or pagan world? Most of us would agree is there are spirits behind the idols demon spirits, high-ranking spirits. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, in essence, they're worshiping the demonic. That word, there's that word, demonie. So we're reading that these nations have given themselves to these gods. And they've given themselves to the spirits behind the gods. Obviously, this is saying that these things are real. These things are reality in the spirit. And the Bible says that the spirit is more real than the physical. And when you look at the pagan world, there is demon possession all over the place. It just comes with it. They possess. In the pagan world, the closer you were to that God, the more possessed you would be. If you ever studied the Greeks, and I do, a lot of it, when the Greeks was, were on top, 
when that culture was on top, the Athenians, the Spartans, all these Greek city-states that somehow defeated the, the, the huge Persian empire over and over and over, these guys would consult with an oracle at a place called Delphi, Delphi. And many times they would go in there and say, should we go to war or not? Because their people would refuse to go to war unless this demon-possessed woman, the oracle at Delphi, was consulted and said yes. Otherwise, they would not, that army would not move. This is how they operated. And the oracle at Delphi was a possessed woman, completely possessed. So all the Greek kings or leaders, uh, the Athens was, was, was really the first to try democracy. They would consult this oracle, not just Greek kings. Thousands of people there, year-round, would be in line waiting to get in, to get in front of this woman, this demon-possessed woman. They would have to bring a sacrifice, some type of animal. And I will tell you this, it's, it's not just people that can be possessed. It's, it's nations. A nation can be possessed. Don't tell me Nazi Germany wasn't possessed. You ever see him with his big, big, big rallies? Those people, that, that civilization took part in the extermination and supported what I believe was really 12 to 14 million Jews, not 6 million, like the books say. They killed them, murdered them. The Babylonians were probably the biggest of these pagans, and it really started with Nimrod at the Tower of Babel. Nimrod was married to a sorceress. And you can trace a lot of this stuff back to Nimrod. And actually, they tried to make his very son a god. Now, if we lived back in those days when the Apostle Paul lived, or the Israelites, trying to settle their land after 40 years in the wilderness, we would have seen these pagan gods all over the place. Where'd they go? Well, Jesus Christ and the gospel spreading around the world pushed a lot of these gods into inactivity. You could say he replaced them. That was the purpose. And look at the book of Acts when the possessed woman, following Paul around, he cast the demon out of this woman and all the idol makers in the city went up in arms. The whole city goes in an uproar because it offended the god Artemis. And they want to kill Paul and his guys. Great the great persecution of Christians coming from the Roman Empire started from the oracle at Delphi instructing a Roman emperor to start killing them. And so he started, and that was the first great persecution of Christians. I mean, the, the persecution of Christians started from an order from one of these pagan gods. And we all know, even in the Roman Empire, which came after the Greeks, Christians had to pay homage to the gods, or they were going to get fed to the lions. It was all about the gods. And in the end, the gospel prevailed, kept spreading, drove a lot of those gods out, if you follow history, by driving the gods out. What that means is the gospel drove, drove it out, drove them out. And where are we today? Where is America today? You could say the American culture started out somewhat cleansed from these gods. It didn't start like Babylon. It didn't start like the Sumerians. It didn't start like the Assyrians. Probably the only culture in history to start like that. But Jesus gives a warning here, and I want you to pay attention to the last line of these verses, Matthew 12, 43 through 45. See, we all think this is about a person, and yes, he's talking about a person, but he's also talking about a nation. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse from the first. Key phrase, even so it shall be also unto this wicked generation. He's talking about a generation of people. It's going to be this way with them. Gods are coming. 
right? He's saying gods are coming and he's bringing his friends, all right? So it will be with this generation. Now, a whole generation of people, Jesus is saying, basically saying, these things are coming for a whole generation of people. And notice, Jesus doesn't say this about a person. He's talking about a generation, a culture of people. You can say if Jesus is warning a generation, America turns away from God, you're going to have these spirits coming back. They're already here. They are coming back to repossess or possess our culture. These gods are coming back with ones, are coming back, or which demon... Demonic principalities are coming back or being reactivated because nothing is new under the sun. These things have all been around since the fall of Satan out of heaven. And I believe that if America completely turns away from God, they are going to be dealing with these same gods that Israel dealt with because in many ways, America has patterned herself after Israel. In this book, he... Rabbi Khan has something he calls the dark trinity. Just to touch on that, the first God that Jonathan Khan talks about is the Hebrew word Baal. Baal. Baal, you always seem to see in the beginning when you have the Israelites turning away from God. It's the first one they go to. It's the first one they let in. They turn to Baal first, and it seems like Baal is that guy Jesus is saying he brings his friends into the culture or that particular generation. Think about this. America started pushing God out. Our God, the Father, Jehovah, Jesus, when he took prayer out of the public schools in the early 60s. We opened that door. So that door gets opened back in the early 60s and when we took God, the Bible, and prayer from the public education of our children and when the door gets open, that God steps in. Remember now, there's no middle ground. It's either our God, Jesus Christ at this point, or it's paganism. That's what it's going to be. You watch. You will start to see by the end of this message, the spirit of Baal has come into America since we started opening the door, taking God out of education. In the 70s, we started national epidemic killing babies. Another door, another door, another door. And we just kept opening that door. And if you've had an abortion, it is no condemnation. That is God. Matter of fact, God, let me tell you something. God says he doesn't even remember that in Hebrews 8, 12. Do you understand that? So that is gone. I'm not sitting up here on my high horse. Trust me. There are very few things, wrong things, bad things in here that I guarantee you that people have done in here, in their past or in the present, that in my 20s that I didn't do. I'm not judging anybody. There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. That is washed. But if you look at it honestly, I've been, every night what puts me to sleep, so really I, for 10 to 15 minutes every night, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, judges, you hear a lot about Baal. And what is Baal's number one thing? What does he always do to the poor Israelites? He makes them forget they even knew God. He starts with a generation. He always says, the next generation forgot what God did for their fathers. How many times do you see that in there? I mean, look at what Baal did. It caused Israel to turn away from the commandments. Think about that. Remember when they threw the Ten Commandments out of the schools? Very familiar. So Baal's mission or the spirit behind Baal is to take a Christian nation and paganize it. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that to the ninth degree when you read about Elisha, Elijah, what Baal was doing, was trying to do, was drive God out of everywhere. And everything as it pertained to Israel. And this is what we see happening in America. Got out of the schools. Got out of the universities. Completely out of the universities. Got out of the government. Separation of church and state. A minister can't even endorse a candidate running for, for office. Are you, are you, it's against law. Why? What's the problem there? Right? 
Remember what's Jesus saying? When you take God out of that house, it will not stay empty. And in this case, we see Baal or the spirit behind Baal bringing his friends. Looking at Hollywood, look at kindergarten classrooms. This stuff wouldn't have even been thought of in the 60s. Wokeism comes from Baal. This is Baal or the demonic principality behind Baal antagonizing the culture of America. Let me give you an example of how Baal works. When you have one God, i.e. Jehovah, Jesus, there is one truth. But when you have many gods, you have many, many truths. Now in this world, in this culture, what do we see that? We see that almost every day. When you have many gods, you have many truths, and everyone has their own truth. And everyone's truth is truth. And if you don't agree and accept everyone's truth, you're not being inclusive. That's Baal at work. You're a domestic terrorist if you don't accept everyone's truth. Everybody says there's no real truth. It's all relative. You make your own truth. Remember the pagans, the idol makers that created their own gods in this day and age, you can create your own reality. If you want to be a cat, you can be a cat. If you want to be a wolf, you can be a wolf, and everybody has to call you a wolf because you believe you're a wolf. It's common. And if you don't see it, you're blind. That's a demon. You can create your own truth. You can create your own reality. That's wokeism. If a man says he's a woman, that's, that's the reality he created for himself. When you take God out, our God, Jesus, suddenly everything becomes God. Sex becomes God. Entertainment becomes God. Technology becomes God. So the name Baal in the Old Testament means master. Everything we're seeing now is going back to the late 50s, early 60s, even the 70s, when America started opening those doors to those gods. What we're seeing is a product of those moves. Now, paganism, as it's talked about in the Bible, when people actually uh, made the idols, it says they worshiped the work of their own hands. And that is exactly what is happening in America. America is worshiping the works of her own hands. Remember when Paul spoke on Mars, Mars Hill? This is the most intellectual city in the world at that time. The Athenians. And he's walking down. There were rows and rows of gods. They're gods, idols. And he's, he says, you're worshiping devils. He looks at them. Those are devils that you're worshiping by the works of your own hands is what he says. Let's look at Acts 17, 22 in the Amplified. I pray that we have it in the Amplified because it expounds the Greek. Acts, do you guys have that in the Amplified? Let's see if somebody's really quick on that keyboard. TV room. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens... I perceive that you're worshiping actual demons. He's pointing at the idols. He's saying they were actually giving offering or worshiping that Greek word demonia. There it is, which is the same word used in the Septuagint that stands for the Hebrew word shadim, which means a spirit, a principality with a personality, an occultic entity, a God is the definition. When the Israelites offered their children, they put their babies in this God's mouth or his hands, and there's a, a raging fire going, and they would bang the drum so loud you couldn't hear the baby scream, and the mother would walk up there, put her baby in the fire. The same way that Athenians were offering up sacrifices to specific gods in the pagan world just not their children in the Greek case. These are actual spiritual 
entities, and you see them again and again and again and again, especially if you follow history. The same way the Romans and the Greeks had Jupiter, uh, Vesta, Apollo. These are not imagined, made-up, human-being-type characters. They're actually connected to demon spirits. When Paul is telling the Athenians in Acts 17 at Mars Hill, you're not supposed to be worshiping things you made with your hands. That Greek word is techna. It was where we get our word technology. So I just don't think it's much different when you're looking at our world today. You can't tell me we're not close to worshiping our own technology, in a sense, and eventually will be. We did an episode in the final hour podcast on the giant statue-like things that show up in Revelation, in the tribulation, and how one of those things are already touring the USA. Huge. It does everything the Bible says it does. One of, there are, it's a tour. It's a, it's a national worldwide tour, this giant thing. It's not an image of the Antichrist like we're going to see in the tribulation, but he can move. They can put different faces on it. It speaks. They put voices in it, different voices. You know, when the pagans would make the idol with their own hands, there would be confusion. You could say disillusion that the actual man-made idol was a god. They did not understand there was a spiritual entity, a demon behind it. In many cases, a strong, high-ranking demon. So they thought the idol itself was God. So there was a misunderstanding in the pagan world between reality and image. Just like we have confusion today with so many people addicted to their iPhones. It's their idol. Just like the virtual reality and technology today is completely confusing with reality. The same way the pagan world was confused with idols and they looked at between reality and image, today virtual reality has become reality to a lot of people through technology. What we see today presently is reality goes away and the virtual becomes real. When Baal gets welcomed into a culture, who does Baal bring with him? You can find her in the Bible. She comes out of the ancient Middle East in many different ways. The prostitutes of ancient Mesopotamia looked at this God as their protector. You have her in a lot of mythologies. In one myth, she stole all the other God's sacred possessions. Another myth, you've got her banging on the gates of hell demanding entrance. Jonathan Kahn calls her the enchantress. And in Sumerian mythology, her foremost lover was a God named Demuzi. In Babylon, Demuzi was known as Tammuz. Well, this isn't Jonathan Kahn's book, but a very well-known scholar I read believes Tammuz actually started out as Nimrod's son. Nimrod and his sorceress, sorceress wife tried to have their son made into a god. And many centuries later, he was worshipped. In the Bible, she is known as Ashtoreth. You see her a lot with Baal. Talking about this goddess, that's become very present in America today. She was right in there with Baal. She was everywhere. She's one of the ones that Baal would bring in with him. And, you know, and, and think about it. Matthew 12, verse 45. Then goeth he, taketh with himself, Baal, seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell in there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so, it, it shall be also unto this wicked generation. Now this goddess is just known as Ashtoreth in the Bible. I'll just tell you, the Canaanites worshipped her, and in the Canaanite mythology, she appears as Baal's wife. In Assyria and Babylon, she showed up as Ishtar. We'll never really know this until we get to heaven. But you've got some ministers out there, and they will tell you there are no female angels, no female demon entities. And I just think that's wrong. Think about this. Grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Did he not just call, did Paul not just call wisdom a spirit? Wisdom is an actual spirit. You have to pray for that spirit to, to, to receive that spirit, to operate within that spirit. News for you, always a her. Always called a her. I think if it was a he... God wouldn't call him a her. 
over and over and over. It's a her. Explain that one to me. Old-timey guys refuse to change their mind. (laughs) David thought goodness and mercy. The Hebrew rabbis of old, when David said goodness and mercy, follow me all the days of my life. This is what they thought he was. The Hebrew rabbis will tell you, he thought he knew they were angels. They were angels. Goodness and mercy. Do you have those angels? Goodness and mercy? Why is the Bible calling wisdom a her? So don't write in and tell me I'm wrong. We can just agree to disagree. You'll never convince me, so I just won't answer you. Because this is a goddess. Just like in Revelation, who's the whore of Babylon? That's a spirit. Drinks the, drinks the blood of, mur- of martyrs, said. Every martyr that hap- happens in the tribulation, she gets stronger. I think it's the same one. And I think she's given more power in the tribulation. So I got off the point a little bit. This is Ishtar. The ancient Sumerians called her Anana. The Canaanites called her uh, Ashate. You see her in the Bible, she's called Ash- Ashtoreth. And, and to the Greek, she became Aphrodite. The Romans, she became the goddess of Venus. All the worship is the same. All the requirements are always the same. She modifies herself. Her appearance shows up in multiple cultures, lands over multiple time frames. I tell you this, when the Christian faith could not be stopped by the Roman emperors in the rest of the Middle East, she had to exit the stage. You have the power to make her exit the stage. You know, the Bible talks so much about spiritual warfare. It's a, it's a war in the spirit. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. But then if you just, if you just, if you just review basic military uh, tactics, you have to know your enemy and what they're going to do and what the next move is and what they're probably going to do and what they like to do, what they don't like. Always this goddess had the same attributes in every culture, had to do it with alcohol, had a lot to do with alcohol, had a lot to do with sex. She was a tavern goddess in some cultures. Looking at the Bible, when Baal comes in, the next one that comes in with them is the goddess. In the Bible, most, her most common name is Ishtar. In the Bible, when she's hanging out with Baal, you can see her name in there. She calls Ashtoreth. She's always got the same qualities in each culture, always the same qualities. The Babylonian kings would perform ritual sex acts in her temple. Other qualities that you see in culture after culture, time period after time period. She was a goddess of war and destruction. She was a female, but with manly qualities. We'll just call her Ishtar because that was her most common name. This is all the same spirit, the same principality. We opened the door for Baal in the 60s, and now a goddess, one of her names is the Enchantress, is back. As soon as they take God out of the schools, separation of church and state, what do you think happens then within a couple of years? Sexual revolution. Welcome, Ishtar. He brings her right in. You always see these cultures, when Baal is let in, he tries to push God, Jehovah out. The enchantress, i.e. Ashtoreth, Aphrodite, Venus, Astarte, Anana, these are all the different cultures that she showed up in over time. The Canaanites, the Sumerians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans called her Venus. She did the same thing. She had the same stuff going on. She had the sacred sex thing with the temple prostitution, um, The Greek historian uh, Herodotus wrote, women of Babylon were required or heavily pushed by their religious customs to sit in the temples of this goddess and perform the function that prostitutes perform, having relations with strangers for money. And according to Herodotus, every woman of the land was compelled to perform that act at least once in her life. And this is where you get these concepts of sacred sex, temple prostitution, all these come from Ishtar. Well, what a, what a, what a culture where that was, the, that was just the thing you did as a woman once in your life. What an evil culture Babylon was. 
She's overturning the biblical. You could call her sexuality values in regarding family and gender and marriage. It starts to replace them with pagan values. Think about this. We've seen America become completely sexualized. How long would it take any of you guys to pull up porn on that little Apple Idol thing you have in your hands? 10 seconds? I don't know. I have a flip phone. It's right at your fingertips. See whatever you want. I, I couldn't have dealt with that. As a kid, running around with an iPhone, <laughs> you, you, you could see it change from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. All the broken families, broken homes, broken children, all the drug addiction. That's Ishtar. She pushes God out through sexualizing everything. In the Greek language, one of the words for prostitute is pornier. You literally get that word porn from this goddess. The literature that they have found through archaeology on the, of this goddess is the first porn in the world. They were drawing pictures of her. The Greek word ero is where you get the word erotic. From that comes the Greek word eros. In Greek mythology, the mother of eros was this goddess. She's also the goddess that's behind witchcraft. And notice, what do you get sexual revolution? Right along with it. A lot of people don't know this in the 60s. You had an explosion of witchcraft being reborn becoming a regular staple of our society. You've got this new age thing that's come in. We have more witches in America right now than in some large denominations. This is the demon goddess that showed up in so many cultures. As I said, she's really, you could call her the god or the demon that would be in charge of substances, drug addiction. In the 70s, cocaine. 80s, they turned cocaine to crack. 90s, you've got crystal meth. There's more Americans addicted to drugs than there has been at any other time. Looking back at ancient inscriptions and writings where this goddess of Ishtar, Venus, what the Bible calls Ashtoreth, she actually calls herself both a male and a female. Well, gee, what a coincidence, because that the whole thing's coming in like a storm. In an old hymn that sung praises to her, in one of these cultures that was singing praises to her, it actually had the words, you are the God that turns a man into a woman and a woman into a man. So yes, I would say she is back. Why are we talking about this? You have to see as a Christian that it is supposed to be, we are supposed to be holding back evil. We don't just put our heads down and duck it. You have to, it is our job. Moses dealt with this. Elijah dealt with this. And we having Jesus in us, which they didn't, you that is part of the fight of faith. And if you just want to not watch the news and put your head down, God's going to, you can get up there and say, you made a mistake. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 can we start with chat with verse 1? I beseech you, Christians, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, verse 2, that ye don't be shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day that Christ is at hand. The day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any way, any way means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And you're seeing it. People drop God after going to church for 25 years. It's a spirit. Just moving on. That the man of sin, the Antichrist, be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that as he is God, sitteth in the temple of God. That's the abomination of desolation. Three and a half years into the tribulation, he, he's either going to have a statue of himself put up in the temple or he's going to walk right in and sit down and say, I am God, world. I am God. Verse 5. 
Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Next verse. And now you know that with what withhold it that he might be revealed? You. You know. You withhold it. You withhold it. We're withholding it. We're never going to know what, who he is completely. We can guess. We can think it's a guy running the European Union, Macron over there in France. Just said one world government is the only way. Just said it publicly. They're not even hiding it. You're withholding it. Next verse. You are withholding it. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That's you. That's you. You're going to be taken out of the way. And then what happens? Next verse. And then shall the wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth in the end. That's how it happens. In the very end, he shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Next verse. Even him who is coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs. And you know what? This is interesting. Lying wonders. It's all going to be a ruse. It's going to be virtual reality. It just said right here, he's going to have lying wonders. And the world's going to believe it. The world's going to believe it. Next verse. And with all the deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. This is our priority. That they receive the love of the truth so they go. Next verse. And for this cause cause God shall send them strong. At some point, everyone on earth just gets Deluded, delusion, they're delusional. They become delusional. The world, there will be a spirit that hits the world that eventually just, they're just completely delusional. With all the bad things going on and they're following this guy, verse 12. That they might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Next verse. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, loved, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning, he's chosen you for right now. Not to hide. He's chosen you. Chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and the belief of the truth. Next verse. Whereunto you he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ. That's right now. The minimum you have to pray it in. Next verse. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught. He's talking to us. Hold with a word or our epistle. And a lot of people don't go into the next chapter. The next chapter is just a couple verses later. Uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 1, you know. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, sorry. I hope they got that. Yeah, finally, brother, listen to what he says. See, see, see. People think that we can't, we, can't, we can't hold it off. What is he telling the Thessalonian church? Pray for us. Pray for us that the word of the Lord goes free. In other words, there's nothing that stops us. What stops it? Prayer. That means if you don't pray... It can be stopped. Pray for us that we could have free course. Pray and be glorified even as it is with you that you'll have free course and pray for his glory. Crowns you with glory and with honor. Adam was crowned with a forced field of glory and with honor. And it's coming back. Verse, verse two. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and unwicked men. Yes, you can pray to be delivered. Even, I mean, Paul's not saying, I welcome the persecution. Pray that we're delivered from these guys. So more people can get saved.
What's the next verse here? Verse three. But the Lord is faithful and who will establish you and keep you from evil. Verse four. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. He's, he's saying, I command you. You have to stabilize yourselves. He was commanding them. I never saw this till 5.30 this morning. Verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, into the patient waiting for Christ. This is all going on while you're waiting on the rapture. Verse 6. First Thessal- or 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. And now, again, we command you, Christians, in the name of Jesus. Man, what if I stood up here and did? I command you. In the name of Jesus. What's he saying? That you stop hanging out with those people. That's what he's saying. Could you even handle that? Withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. And not after the tradition which you've heard from us. And not doing what we told you to do. Verse 7. For yourselves know ye ought to follow us. Wow. For we, we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Verse 9. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, or were wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might uh, uh, not be chargeable to any of you. Verse 9. Verse 9, please. Not because we have, he's, he's telling them because, you know, they thought the rapture was coming, so they were all quitting work. He has to tell them to go back to work. They were, that's how much they were looking for it. Let's, let's sell the house and head to Hawaii. Wait on it out there. And he's like, no, you got to go back to work. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you, to follow us. Again, he's saying, follow us. Follow us in this hard times. Verse 14. Verse 14. And if any man doesn't obey our word... The two commandments by this epistle, no, that man have no company with him. You don't hang out with him if he's not going to obey. Wow, those are very strong words. Verse 15, count him not as an enemy. Don't, you don't count him as an enemy. Admonish him as a brother. But that doesn't mean that you... He's like, you have to separate yourself from it all. And that just goes back into the seven letters from the seven churches that we did in Revelation 2 and 3. How many commentators believe Jesus Christ is warning the church today about the pitfalls of the day? And this stuff is lining up. A number of those churches in Revelations 2 and 3 compromised so that the world back then, the Roman Empire, wouldn't persecute them. They compromised to make their life easier. Next week on the the final hour podcast, we're going to do the last member of what Jonathan Kahn calls the dark trinity. Next week, you have Baal. We went over Ishtar, Ishtar, and there's a third one. And remember, you can buy this book on Amazon. And this, it's like, you know, honestly, I covered like 20 pages. It is the most interesting book. Oh, it's just so much about history in it. And he just lines it up. He just lines it up. I could only touch. I mean, I could only touch on it. 240-page book. But, 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 but this is so we can know exactly the principalities that we're dealing with because they've always been around. Solomon said there is nothing new under the sun. Are you going to fight that spiritual war? Or are you going to just sit back with your head down and get whooped? What's that cheer? Be aggressive, got to be aggressive. B E, or what is it? B E A G G R E S S I V E, be aggressive. How many bass all get to know that cheer by heart? And you're not even paying attention, you just hear it always going on. So, gotta be aggressive. You have to attack. You have to stand. In the very least, you have to pray. You have to watch and pray. What was that church in, in the seven church, seven letters of seven churches? 
Paul said, or, or, or Jesus Christ himself said, start watching now. You're not watching what's going on. You know? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So I'm just a great Christmas message there, huh? You guys wanted to bring up... <laughs> I promise. You'll have candy canes and all that next week. <laughs> Maybe we'll just hand out some candy canes. I did see Santa today. I was like, wow, Santa's already out in children's ministry 21 days before Christmas. But hallelujah. And so... Let's just, let's just start to, to hand this out here because what I want to talk about is I just, I'm so into communion, you know? It's like one time my Catholic neighbors said, it's such a tradition. It's not a tradition. It's a connection. It's meant to be a connection. And sometimes I get so focused on Heal my body, heal my body, heal my body, right? Remember he said, he said, the late, the Syrophoenician woman was like, I just heal my child. And, he's, and Jesus called it children's bread. What did he say? He said, this is, communion is all about Jesus Christ. And in Corinthians, Corinthians in red letters, that means Jesus is speaking says, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Then he says, as often as you do this, he says, do it often, remember me. Remember what? Can we put the sculpture up? Aren't you glad to have a break from the sculpture for six weeks? I hope they have the sculpture ready. Well, that's not quite as bad as it was because the Bible says that his face was marred more than any man. In other words, he's unrecognizable. They looked at him and those people were astonished. Why? He says, he says when you take communion, as often as you do it, do it often, you remember me. This is your body, this is my body. They would say, broken for you. It was broken for you. Remember me. Remember me because every promise there is is available here. This is where it happened. He had to die before he was resurrected. He had to give his blood before he was resurrected. And I just I just feel like I just I just I see it, I see it every day. I see another person that surprises me every day that walks away from God. Not necessarily here, just people I've known, maybe that I grew up with or just denounce them. And there will be a falling away. We read that first. You've got to pray for his hunger. Just ask him for hunger. I felt like he told me, I love that prayer more than any prayer for hunger. That to know that you want to be hungry for me, that you want to be. And if you're not, that's what you do. You just do it once a day, and we're going to do it right here. We're going to do it right here, and then we're going to close it with a prayer over your relatives. Okay? You can sit. You can stand. I just want you to commune with him. This is communion. It's not a tradition. This is your covenant. You have a covenant with God, a blood covenant that you didn't shed any blood. You didn't shed any blood. He shed the blood representing you. It's a blood covenant. And what you're doing with communion, what did Jesus say? Uh, this cup is the new co covenant. Cut my blood. It represents what we have that they did not have in the Old Testament. So God, as we take communion today from our seat of authority in the heavenlies, out of our heavenly ministry today, we receive that hunger, a strong, insatiable hunger for you, for a better relationship with you. 
in these latter days. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, take, eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Mm. Sometimes I put myself in the image at the bottom of the cross. What would that have really looked like to be right there? I always do these. I thank you, Father, that you give them as we take the cup. Before we take the cup on the authority of the blood of Jesus, you give them rest from the days of adversity until the pit be dug for the wicked in the name of Jesus Christ. And that these are all scriptures. That the fear of the Lord would fall upon the congregation of living word and every single person watching online so they made no war against them. They made no war. Who? Who? The demonia. You give us a token of good today, Lord. So though the, those that hate us may see it and be ashamed. For thou, O Lord, has helped us and comforted us. I thank you. You crown us with the force field of glory and, with, and honor in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you that this congregation and every single person shall receive power and operate in it on a daily basis when the Holy Ghost comes upon them. In the name of Jesus Christ, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant. Cut my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Ah, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. That's what the, that's what the blood represents. It represents the complete and total forgiveness of your sins. Quickly now, quickly, could you please raise your hands if you have relatives that you are believing to be saved? Raise your hands high. Relatives. Wow. Let's agree. It's a prayer of agreement. There's nothing more powerful than a bunch of people getting together on the name of Jesus. And we are in agreement here. We want to see it quick. Father, we come before you and we lift up these family members right now and we pray that if it's not by our own hand, if it's not by our own mouth, that you send those family members a laborer to speak into their lives. You give them a dream. You show up in their house, Jesus. You do what you gotta do, but you save them. You touch those lives in the name of Jesus Christ. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus Christ over every single Christmas celebration we thank you for peace and joy and happiness and the love of God flowing flowing out in those gatherings you should do this every day if you're worried about your family Christmas you say devil I command you you stay out of that family Christmas in the name of Jesus Christ strife division competition jealousy bitterness be gone that day in the name of Jesus Christ you take your authority over you own that house you walk in spiritually you can own it and you can make those things walk but you have to do it you have to do it thank you so much for coming to church living word I had saw some people leaving just if you get a hold of them tell them I'm sorry I wasn't mad at them I love you guys. I hope to talk to you out on the average looking brown couch here after the service. God bless you.